Well, many of you have already seen, I'm sure, It's a Wonderful Life. How many of you have ever seen that movie? Raise your hand so you know that's a Christmas movie. And uh, the scene was is that um, George Bailey's uncle had lost $8,000. He couldn't find it anywhere. He, couldn't, he didn't have any solutions left except for a life insurance policy that wasn't even worth that much. And so uh, he was in a, in, a, in a pickle, you might say. You know, he was in a bad place. And he says, I'm at the end of my rope. What am I going to do? God, if you're there, would you help me? Have you ever felt that way, that you were just sort of there at the end of your rope? You were in a dark time, discouraging time, and you're just wondering, God, are you with me? Now, I entitled this message Christmas in August. I know a lot of you ladies are already, <laughs> can I start shopping now? But, um, you know, that doesn't happen until what, uh, Halloween now? But um, I call it that because about three or four times uh, during the Christmas season, I um, share with you a message about the incarnation of Christ or the birth of Christ. And what I want to do in this series of messages is really take the best passage I possibly can to explain what the Bible teaches about something, uh, in this case, God with us, and share that passage with you and use that as the basis to the message. And so I'm going to be using a Christmas passage this morning. And so as we open to Matthew chapter 1, We've been in a series of messages on be encouraged, God is for you. And we've taken it from uh, at least a starting verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, where it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is rewarder of those who seek him. Now the very first message, we talked about that first one, God is, and that he is, and then we're getting around a, a rewarder of those who seek him. And last week we said, look, God is, and then the, rather two weeks ago, and then last week, we said what God has done in your past, he's used in your past to bring you to the present situation. He's always been there for you in every single circumstance of your past. Now, you're wondering, well, that's all fine and good. In fact, maybe God has brought me, you're thinking, even all the things that I've gone through has brought me to this place here at Cross Life Church this Sunday morning. And I would say that would be true. But then you ask yourself the question, but what about now? I mean, we do live in the now. We do have present problems. Is he with me now? And if so, what does that look like? Well, we open up <clears throat> to Matthew chapter 1, and we read these verses, and I'll just start reading in verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, Mary's husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace Mary, planned to send her away secretly. But when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So this is a virgin birth, the Bible says, and uh, explains a little bit more about that in Luke chapter 1 and 2. And then he says, this child is of the Holy Spirit. He's fathered this child. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, that word meaning Savior. And so therefore, the explanation, Jesus' mission is to take away the sins, or he will save his people from their sins. But then in verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken of the Lord through the prophet, which is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now he says his name is going to be Jesus because it explains the mission of what it's all about, to die on the cross for our sins. But in dying for, on the cross for our sins, there's a purpose in that. Have you ever wondered that? Why, why, would Jesus, why would God do that, send his only son to die on the cross for our sins? And, of course, the answer 
there, the obvious answer is he loves us, right? And he has grace and he has love for us. But what was the purpose behind it all? The purpose was a manual, which means a title, by the way, a manual God with us. God's goal in our life is to be with us. That's the reason he created us in the first place. So I want us to look at this in this way. I want to take those three words, God with us, and that's going to be basically our three points this morning. We first of all look in, at the expression of God. He says it's Emmanuel, God with us. Now one of the most amazing things about the Bible is the fact that this book written by Matthew, the book of Matthew, Matthew was a Jewish guy. He was a Jewish guy writing to a Jewish audience and that's the reason why you hear uh, kings and Messiah and those kind of words all the, throughout this book. He's writing to a Jewish audience, and the amazing thing is this. And the question that many people ask, scholarly people would ask, is how in the world would a Jewish people believe that God would become a man? Back then, it just did not make sense. And here's a question that we just never ask ourselves. See, back then, you had a pantheist. You had people that believed that God was in everything. You know, God's in this table. God's in this shirt. He's in my body. He, he's, he's everywhere, and, he, and he's in everything. Well, we don't believe that as Christians. But then there was also the polytheists, which believed there are many gods, which was the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. And many people don't realize that a lot of the, the Roman Empire really copied and adopted and adapted the, the Greek uh, mythology a lot of times and Greek gods. Well, Romans had many gods. And if you can remember the Greeks, Zeus, some of the Greek mythology, it was nothing to think about uh, Zeus coming down and taking on the body of a man. Roman, Roman uh, thought Caesar was a god himself. And so for them to think that God would come down and inhabit a human body, it was nothing. But the Jews believed, Deuteronomy 6, 4, that there's only one God. And he's a transcendent God. He's a supernatural God. He would never, ever come and lower himself to take on the body of a man. And yet the Jewish culture and the Jewish people began to believe that. Well, why? Well, because he, he did all the miracles. He raised the dead. Then he died on the cross. And then after three days, he rose again. And that proved to them that what he was saying that we find here in the Scripture is true because of the resurrection. And so they began, many of them, began to believe that he was actually God. But how do you reconcile that? The Bible says there is only one God. And yet, here in the Scripture it says, Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's calling Jesus God. And we can see this all throughout the New Testament. Remember when uh, he healed the paralyzed man? He said, your sins are forgiven. Now, how significant was that? The Jews took up stones to stone him because he was making himself out to be God. Now, how, how would that just simply make himself out to be God, just simply saying your sins are forgiven? You've said that before, haven't you? Does that make you God? You may be saying to me, well, Pastor, I forgive you for many bad sermons, or I forgive you for long sermons, you know? And, uh, you know, I had one guy, you know, I had to ask, I asked forgiveness for a short sermon, but that only happened one time in all these many years. So anyway... We, uh, you know, apologize. For, now, here, here's the illustration, okay? We'll say, we'll take Joe here. Joe steals money from Tom. And I go up to Joe, and I say, Tom, I mean, Joe, I, I got to get, get my guys right. Um, Joe, I heard you stole some money from Tom. That's right. 
I forgive you. Well, Joe's going to look at me and say, wait a minute, you forgive me. You, you have no power to forgive me. I didn't offend you. I didn't steal money from you. The only one that can forgive me is Tom. Well, when Jesus was saying, go, your sins are forgiven, what he was saying is all sins are against me. And he was making himself out to be God. Thomas, when he saw the nail prints in the hands of Jesus, the scars, he said, my Lord and my God. One of the greatest uh, pronouncements of a creed in, in the entire Bible. And what did Jesus say about himself? He said this, I and the Father are one. And then the Jews picked up stones again to stone him, Jesus answering them. I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? And they, the Jews answered, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself out to be God. And so we find a situation here where the Bible talks about Jesus being God. The Father is God. Nobody you know, says anything about that. Nobody disputes that. The, the Son is God and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5, the Holy Spirit is God. But yet Israel believed, and the Bible teaches in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's only one God. So what, where do we come out with all this? How do we reconcile all this? The Bible teaches from the very beginning there was a trinity there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three personalities, one God. Even back in the book of Genesis, God, the Bible says, God said, let us make man in our image. Let us. And when you look at that, the Greek word, all the way back to Genesis, or the Hebrew word, all the way back to Genesis 1-1, Elohim is in the plural, as though there are many gods here. But yet the, the, the verb is singular. And so it's, it's like a multiple personality in one God. And when you and I think about it, the question would always be, from a, maybe an atheist point of view, okay, God is a God of love. He has to have an object of love, or at least he wants to have an object of love. What was his object of love before he created man? Well, it was a relationship he had with himself. God is a relationship God. He's a relatable God. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had a love relationship going on there even before he created man. And we find there, and we're, we, we're, given, we're given indication there once again, that God is a relational God. So what was God's goal for us? He wanted to be with us. The time he created man, Adam and Eve, the reason he created them was so he could have a relationship with them. Now, Adam broke that relationship by sinning against God. And ever since the original sin, God then has been looking at things, maneuvering things in order to bring us back to himself. In fact, let me give you an Old Testament illustration of this. And I don't have time this morning to go into all the intricate details of this, but uh, let me just give it as an illustration. Back in the Old Testament times, as I shared with you uh, last week, um, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And God went in there and said, let my people go through the prophet Moses. And eventually, after ten plagues, we find that Pharaoh said, get out of here. I don't want you anymore. Well, he, uh, they, they were trapped at the Red Sea. Um, Pharaoh had changed his mind and now going after uh, Moses and the Israelites and the parting of the Red Sea took place and they went over on dry land into the wilderness. Well, there was a place in the wilderness called Kadesh Barnea where God says, okay, time to go. It's time to go. And they sent 12 spies into the land. Ten of them came back, the Bible says, with a bad report. They said, yes, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's just like God said but there are giants in the land. 
There's fortified cities in the land, big walled cities. We cannot do this. And they disobeyed God there. And God said, okay, you reap what you sow. This is what you've decided to do. So you will die there in the wilderness. I can't send you back to Egypt. You're going to get killed there. But you're going to die. But the next generation I'm going to send into the promised land. Now, when you're in the wilderness, you can't build a temple. You just can't do that. Because temple is something that's permanent, kind of permanent. You've got sticks and stones and uh, rock and, and you put up. So God told them, you need a place of worship, so build a tabernacle. We have a picture of that, kind of a rendition of, of what happened there. You have the outer court, and then within this fence you have the inner court. And the idea was, as the closer you got to this tent, which was the holy place, where only the priest could go into the holy tent, this place. And then in the holy place was the holy of holies. There was a veil that that separated uh, the rest of the world from God. The Ark of the Covenant there represented God, and only the one priest, the high priest, could go behind the veil one time a year to sacrifice for sins. Now, the reason why that's important is that you get the feeling as a Jewish person, the closer you get to the tabernacle, the closer you get, the more work you want to do, so you, you can make sure that God is going to somehow receive your sacrifice and the, receive the, the, the sacrifice of the high priest going behind the veil. And we find this is a picture of what we're seeing today. In fact, once they got into the promised land, they built a temple. It's amazing how many religions in the world, as you trace, trace it back down through um, antiquity, how many, in fact, today have temples? You can go right now in Atlanta and visit three miles from where Pam and I started a church in Atlanta, Georgia. You can visit the second largest, I think, temple, Hindu temple in the United States. Also, there's a very large Muslim temple. You go out in Salt Lake City, and there's a very large Mormon temple. And we study through history that religions had temples. And the, in fact, the Old Testament way of doing things before Christ came along, you always had to have uh, a place of worship. You had to have rules, you had to have laws, and a priest to represent you, and you had to, stay, you had to stay back. You had to let them do their work. You didn't participate. You just hoped that their work was enough. And so what they're saying is, is what? Well, three things. The reason why religions have temples. One, they're recognizing the fact that there's something out there that's supernatural. And we said two weeks ago the reason we know that God is is that God, Romans 1, places the knowledge of himself into our heart. Well, we see this in the temple building. We understand there's a supernatural world that we cannot see. Number two, we can't get there on our own. There's something here. I don't feel the presence of God in my life. I feel guilty before God. I just feel like I'm not worthy. We see this in all religions. You have to do better. Work your way up to the temple, and maybe God will receive you. And so there's a recognition there we need a mediator. There's a gap here. There's a barrier. There's a veil. Something is separating us from God. So thirdly, the temple was a way of getting to God, getting in somehow. And so when we look at this, we look and ask ourselves the question, how does this fit into God being with us? Exodus 40 says this, He erected the court meaning Moses, all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the veil of the gateway of the court, this veil that went on the, in the holy place. This, thus Moses finished the work. And the cloud, this Shekinah glory that led them by day, pillar of fire by night, this glory of God 
covered the tent meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Bible says in John 1, 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus cried out on the, on the cross, it is finished. The Bible says the glory of God came upon the earth. Now, it, it came in the form of earthquakes. It came in the form of people rising up from the dead. It was a catastrophic type of thing. But it was still the glory of God filled the place. This word dwelt is the same word where we get our word tabernacle. It means to pitch your tent. It means to live with someone. It has to do tabernacle. It literally tabernacle. Jesus came and tabernacled among us. And he was saying to us, look, I am, I'm the way. I am the mediator. I am the one who fills. I'm the bridge to the gap. I'm the one who breaks down the barriers. And when it was finished on the cross, his blood was shed for our sins. The Bible says the veil of the temple was torn in half by the fingers of God, signifying the fact that we no longer had to be separated from God, but now God is with us. That's what he's saying here in the Old Testament. Because why? God has a goal to be with us, not only when he created us, but even right now. Jesus fulfilled his purpose, dying on the cross, tabernacling among us. Now you ask yourself the question, well, yeah, but where's Jesus today? I mean, doesn't the Bible teach that Jesus Christ died on the cross? Doesn't it teach that he rose again on the third day? Yes, it does. Well, he then ascended up into heaven, and the Bible says that right now he sits at the right hand of the Father ever to make intercession for us. That means he's praying for us all the time. Every time you go through a dark time, Jesus is there praying before the Father. Every time you go through discouraging times, Jesus is praying there for the Father. Every time you have a, this blind spot in your life, whatever it may be, Jesus is praying that to the Father, that he would reveal it to him. And you say, well, wow, that's great. That's wonderful. Jesus is praying for me. But who's with me now? I mean, surely the Bible says that God is everywhere. But look at this, look at this verse. God with us. What does it mean, this Trinitarian thing where God is with us? The Bible teaches us that God certainly is everywhere. I read Psalm 139 last week to you, the whole, most of the whole psalm. And let me share with you a couple of verses here. Where I go, it says, from your spirit. Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, show, behold, you are there. He says, in other words, death can't separate me from the presence of God. He says, if I take on the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Distance is not going to keep me from the presence of God. Surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is, not, is as bright as the day, darkness and light. Hey, there are light to you. Even the darkness will not separate us from his presence. So he, God's everywhere. But where is God helping us today? Jesus put it this way. He said, I will ask the Father. I'm going I'm to be going to heaven. I'm going to be sitting at the right hand of the Father. First thing I'm going to ask him, I will go to you and send you another helper. This word another means one just like me. This word helper means comforter, encourager. And he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. He tells, him who, he tells us who it is, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive. Because it does not see him or know him, but we know him. 
because he abides with you. He lives in you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, this word that we look at, um, when it says a comforter, another one, just like me, another helper, the parakletos, someone that's helping us, encouraging us. But then this word with, it's the same word that we find over here in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, God with us. It means one called alongside, one to be with you, in a sense, one to be in you. So what happens to us when we're saved? The Bible calls it an experience of being born again. He defines this in John chapter 3. Unless you be born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is Christianity all about? But being born again, being regenerated in the, on the inside. When we repent of our sins, humble ourselves before the cross, and ask Jesus to save us and to come into our life. Who comes into our life? Well, the, the Bible says Jesus is the right hand of the Father. So who's there? The helper, the one he has sent, the comforter, the Holy Spirit of God living in our heart. And it says here, he will be with you forever. In fact, in Ephesians 4.30, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed by the, till the day of redemption. So there's an indwelling Holy Spirit. Here, we're born again. And Jesus comes to live inside of our heart. His Spirit is there to guide us. How do we know He's with us? The Bible teaches us that we're born again. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians explains it. Paul explains it by saying that the Holy Spirit of God comes in to ignite the old dead soul and spirit within us to give us life. And He's always there. But you say, well, I don't feel like He's always there. What's the problem? Well, the same problem I have, same problem you have. We're just really kind of inconsistent. And we're pulled by so many things in this life. You know, you think, well, you know, I need to read the Bible more. You know, I was reading, a, um, a, I think it was a Pew Research thing this past week. It said only 13% of Christians in America read their Bible every day. I said, well, I, I need to do that. But we're torn. We're, we're torn back and forth and back and forth. And, and really, there's two worlds here. One is our walk with God, and the other one is the blessings of God. Sometimes the Bible even calls the world. And it could be good things in the world. I mean, God wants you to make something of yourself. I'm not saying that he doesn't. But then when we look over here and we use God and say, God, what I really need is for you to bless my, my life, my ministry, or my job, or my career. God, what I really need you to do, I need you, God, in my life to bless my family. I need you to make me richer. I need you to help me to buy more things. I need you to help me to be more comforted. I, I need, I need, I need. And we wrap ourselves up. The Bible says, in fact, there's two, things, two ways that we don't feel the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. Grieving the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30, and quenching the Holy Spirit in our life. Grieving is doing something we shouldn't be doing. That's paying attention to the world. And quenching is just not paying attention enough to our relationship with God. Now, as we're looking at this, and God fills us with his presence, and the Bible talks about our obedience. So let me, let me read something to you. Uh, I found it in my devotional time this morning, in fact. Um, I won't read the whole chapter of 59 of Isaiah. Let me just read a couple of verses and see if you don't identify with what I'm saying here, what the Bible is, is teaching us. Therefore, justice is far from me, and righteousness does, does not overtake us. We hope for light. Behold, we have darkness. For brightness 
as we walk in gloom. Are you walking in some gloom? Some, you're just down, just kind of down. We grope along the wall like blind men. We don't know where we're going. You know, we can't hear the voice of God speak to us anymore. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday as in the twilight. Among those who are vigorous, we are like dead men. All of us growl like bears. You're just in a bad mood. Are you in a bad mood sometimes? You say, not me. Well, let me ask your wife. Well, anyway. Um, and we moan sadly like doves. Kind of down, just kind of despair. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, being rescued, but it's far from us. Hmm, what's the problem? Well, the nation of Israel, here is the problem. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities transgressing and denying the Lord and turning away from our God. Speaking oppression, revoke, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words, lying to ourselves in our heart. Boy, God, I really want you, I really want you. I know I need to be doing this and this and that. But boy, this is just so enticing over here. Let me share with you this, something I learned many years ago. Something that was taught to me. I can have the world, at least some of it. Can't have all of it. But I can have the things of the world, or I can have closeness with God. But I can't have both. I can have the presence of God in my life where it just overcomes everything that's wrong in life. Or I can seek after those things that God has blessed me with and get some of them, but just can't do both. And the nation of Israel was suffering because of that back in the book of Isaiah. And I'm afraid the church in America and the church in the Western civilization is suffering from that today. You can't go on the mission field in third world countries and find that scripture to be really have, hold a lot of truth in their life. And so what about us? Here's the thing. You say, well, I know I know I'd be reading the Bible. I'll tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, start reading the Bible. That's a good thing to do. I'm going to discipline myself to pray. Wonderful thing to do. But let me ask you something, really. And, and here's, here's the big difference. Um, some of you are married. Many of you are. Others of you are, are maybe grandparents or have, have parents that don't live near you anymore. How does your mom and dad feel when you call them out of obligation? Well, you know, I really want to talk to dad and see what's going on. No, I need to call dad. I need to find out what's going on. He's, you know, he's not feeling good right now. I, I just need to check in because I know it's something I need to do. I, you know, it's just right to do it. I know I need to spend time with my kids, so I do. You know, and I, I go to their games and, you know, I play with my phone or whatever at the games. I mean, I know I ought to go, and I know I ought to spend time with my children. Or I know how to spend time with my spouse. I mean, my goodness, certainly, you know, we're going to grow apart unless we spend time together. I don't want to go to that movie or I don't want to go to that ball game. I really don't want to. I'd rather be with my friends. I'd rather be doing something else. But I guess I'll go. How does your spouse feel about that? You know, sometimes our relationships are, are there to teach us something about our relationship with God. Because I, I dare say, God's not really thrilled with me when I say, okay, God, you know, I don't really want to read, I'm kind of bored with the Bible maybe, and I've read this passage before, or I don't like it because it speaks to me too much, and boy, there, you know, I feel some guilt as I read that, but I, I need to read it. I know I need to pray, so I'll pray. 
There's a difference between that and sensing the presence of God so strongly in your life that you want those things. So I want to ask you a question. Since God, God has done so much to be with you, what are we doing to be with him? Because that's the secret to all of life. Everything in your life, that born-again experience and living the born-again experience. And so, who is this toward? Well, we've already read about it really in John, where it says, the world has, cannot receive this truth because it does not see him or know him. But look with me, lastly, this morning at this word. God with us. Who's the us? The us are those who have been saved, those who have been born again, those who are truly trusting Christ as their Savior and Lord. And you say, well, now, wait a minute. That's kind of narrow. I mean, when you read verses like John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You say, now wait a minute, that is narrow. That's the reason I don't like to come to church. You guys are narrow. That's not narrow. It's a different, it's not exclusive. It's just a different diagnosis. Like if you go to the doctor and, and the doctor says, okay, the reason you're in this kind of pain, the reason why you're suffering through what you're suffering through is that you have a vitamin B shortage. So you take this vitamin B and uh, you take one pill a day and in a month, you'll be feeling a lot better. Well, a month goes by, you don't feel any better. So you go to another doctor. He says, no, no, it's vitamin D. Another doctor says, oh, it's aspirin. Another one says, it's Geritol, <laughs> you know. And you're going through all these doctors. And then one doctor comes up and says, you know, it has nothing to do with vitamins at all. You have a grave illness. And you're going to die soon unless we do something about it. Now, I can give you this pill or this shot. One time, it'll cure it. Are you going to look at that doctor and say, now, wait a minute, doctor. No offense to you, but you are a narrow doctor. You're a narrow human being. I mean, you're saying that all these other doctors are wrong, and you're the only one that's right. I think that's kind of narrow. No, you're not going to say that. You're going to say, doc, you have a different diagnosis of the problem. Therefore, you're going to have a different solution. And so when we're saying, the rest of the world is saying to you this. He says, look, you're a moral person. You're a good person. You're a good guy. You're a good lady. You just need to get better. You see, what you need to do is go toward the temple. And, in, and symbolically, you're going through to the temple. And you need to do better as you get there. And then you'll have more peace. And then you'll have more hope. You need to have, live a better life. But you're already good. The diagnosis of the Bible and God's diagnosis is this. We're, we're not good. No one is good, no, not one. We're all sinners and separated from God. Therefore, we need a rescuer. We need a savior. We need a mediator. We need someone to fill in the gap for us, to be the bridge. And the cross was that bridge. The solution was that Jesus Christ would come and die on the cross for our sins, that we could receive him into our heart to be saved forever and forever and forever. That is God's solution to the problem. But it's hard for us to sometimes because we say, well, I don't want to get too close because I, I don't want to feel that bad. I mean, I've come to church. You just said I'm not seeking God enough. I feel bad. I feel guilty. Listen, those who are really right now enjoying the presence of God in their life, there's no guilt there. There's no conviction there. They're just nodding their head. Yeah, yeah. David in Psalm 139, as I studied it a little bit more this week, I discovered 
But in that psalm, David was like us. He was just torn. He was conflicted. On the one hand, he wanted to be so close. God, you are everywhere. You're so all-powerful. You knew me in my mother's womb. It's just great. On the other hand, it's, it's like, oh, God, you're getting a little too close here. I'm not sure about this. But he finally says in verses 23 and 24, God, just come on in. I'm all in. I'm all in. When he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any hurtful way in me. Show me my blind spot. Show me, show me where I, I just even can't see things that's separating me, not only from you, but the rest of my relationship as well. And lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in your way. David finally just surrenders his life and, and heart. God has created us to have relationship with him. He's a relatable and relationship God. He created us for that. He built the tabernacle. He gave specific instructions, the tabernacle and temple, just for that. And he sent Jesus Christ, most of all, to die on the cross for our sins, to give us victory, so he could send his Holy Spirit to live within us, to guide us, to encourage us during the dark times, to help us overcome temptation in the tempting times, to give us hope in the times of despair. And when we're all said and done, no matter what's going on over here, we have the comfort and we have the encouragement and the power and the peace of God's presence in our life. I love the illustration where a little boy loses his mom. And um, that night after the funeral, he goes to bed and he says, Daddy, would you please sleep with me tonight? Would you lay down with me? He says, sure, son. This little four-year-old boy, his dad laying down in the dark. Silence, grief. And little boy feeling the sense of real loneliness, losing his mom, says simply this, asks his dad, Daddy, can you love me through the dark? And he said, yes, son, and I will love you through the dark. God can love you through the dark. Just give him that opportunity, and he'll show you the way. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, maybe you're sitting here this morning and just saying, God, you know, I just want a, something renewed in my heart. I want a desire for you that maybe I've lost over the way. God, there's so many things going on in my life. And there's so many things that are pulling me away. But God, would you pull me toward you? The altar is open. We'll ask you to come. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're just saying, you know, it's just time. I need to trust him. I need, I need to just be like David and say, search me, O God. Show me the everlasting way. I come to the cross. I humble myself before you. I want to know you. I want to know you. If that's your prayer, would you pray this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud, inviting Christ into your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for desiring a relationship with me. I open up my heart. I invite you to come in. I call on your name. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and be running my own life. And I ask you to take my life. Help me to sense your presence even now. Help me to know you. And I'll pray it in Jesus' name.
Now with heads bowed, eyes, in fact, look this way real quickly. There's a card that you received, or welcome card, uh, just a few moments ago. And you were asked to fill out the front of that. On the back of that card, there's a place there where you can indicate that you've received Christ into your heart. Now, praise God, we've had about 20 decisions over the last two weeks. It's people just like you. And uh, most of them have been to receive Christ. So you prayed that prayer to invite Christ in life. Put a little check right there. Maybe you want to you wanna know more? Put, put a check there. There's a place there where you want to be baptized because you've already been saved. You can put a check right there. You're interested in knowing more? That's great. Just whatever it is, that, that will help us to communicate with you and help you. And we're going to pass the offering plate in just a moment. And if you place that card in the offering plate, um, that'll help us to get all that started, okay? But maybe you're here this morning. You say, no, I, I want to make a decision today. We've got a couple of staff members down here in front, and you say, I just I don't want to talk. I don't want to get a letter in the mail or a phone call. I want to talk to a really live human being, and here they are. You pray to receive Christ. You want to make another, another decision in your life. Here we are for you. Also, the altar is open. Again, you want to come to say, God, I just want to ask you to search my heart, search my blind spots, help me, Lord, uh, in my relationships. And the only way I can do that is start right here in my own heart, right? And help me with my relationship with you. Help me to seek you anew and afresh. The altar is open. You come right now. As JT leads us, let's stand together. Let's bow our heads before the Lord and ask God what he would want us to do this morning. God, what is it you want us to do? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that and obey him. JT.